I want you to open your Bibles with me. I want us to have a look, and I want to pick up where I was last week, and I want to just continue in the theme. I believe this year that God is, is going to impact the church quite deeply and dramatically in the area of relationships. I want to open, you open your Bible at John chapter 14. I touched on the scripture last year, but I want to pick it up. I want to just teach, share on this just today and get you thinking. Uh, I'm not going to leave it at that. I'll continue just to open up other aspects. But one of the things that God wants us to have a, an understanding of is the immense love he has for us. We don't only love others. You only give away what you got. You can't give what belongs to someone else. You have to have something that's real. And the thing that the world needs more than anything is the love of God. You can't give it if you haven't got it. And this year, I would encourage you to open yourself up to encounter and personally experience God's love. And uh, so I want to just pick up where we were uh, last week. If, we, if you remember last week when we are here, and for those of you perhaps who are listening on the internet or uh, listening over a, a CD or have downloaded the, the, the MP3, uh, what I want, last week we were speaking about the story of Hosea. And Hosea, uh, whose name means salvation, is a type of God himself. And uh, Hosea uh, had an instruction. His instruction was to marry Goma. Goma means to come to the end of yourself, to be complete, completely at the end of yourself, to have no more resources left. Goma was a prostitute. She had sold herself out. And so uh, Hosea went and married her. Now, I didn't go into the, trying to think through just the implications of the story, but I want to just raise this. But even though he was married to her, she struggled in her heart to believe she could be loved. His struggle was the difficulty in believing I could be loved. This is a struggle many people have. It's a struggle I had for years and at times still have it. It comes and goes. It's a struggle to know that we're lovable, to know that we're loved completely and perfectly. And what happened was Goma had in her heart uh, a wrong belief system. She had a belief system that somehow she was ugly, defiled, that unlovable, that no one could love her. And so when you have those kind of belief systems, even though, you, even though she had a marriage and a marriage to a man who loved her, she couldn't receive the blessings of that marriage because her heart belief system refused to accept that she could be loved. She continued to live as though she was unloved and rejected. And when people believe in their heart that they're unlovable, they sabotage their lives and relationships, either by going for addictions to try and fill up that need for love or by doing crazy things that, that prove that we're unlovable. And so she ran away and went back and sold herself into prostitution, was living with a man and, uh, and proving thereby I'm unlovable. And yet God shows that no matter where we are, no matter what state we're in, we are lovable because he's got great love for us. And so he sent, uh, he sent uh, this man, this prophet, to represent him and go and pay the full price to bring her out of the slavery of prostitution, bring her back to himself, and to reveal to her that in spite of what she thought and believed, she was lovable. This story can be found all over the Bible. It's a tremendous story. It's the story of Jesus Christ. This man, Hosea, is Jesus Christ coming because the Father sent him into a world that doesn't believe it's lovable, that self-destructs in so many ways. And no matter what we've sold ourselves to, Jesus Christ loved us, paid the full price on the cross to receive us into intimacy again. 
the story seen in the parable of the prodigal son. It's seen in so many ways in the Bible, and we're going to explore some of those things this year. So her difficulty was her core belief, I'm unlovable. And we're going to just pick up. In fact, she was an orphan in her heart. No one could love me and care for me. And I want you to just have a look with me in John 14 and verse 18. And I want to share with you something to, I want to share on the orphan spirit. It's not a demonic spirit. It's just a whole stronghold, a mentality, a way of thinking, a way of living. It is called the world system. It's the way of living your life when you live your life without God. And I want to just show you how it began, and I want to show you how it shows up in our life, and then how Jesus came to remedy that situation for us. And this year, it's my prayer that God will bring the church through great uh, increase in personal revelation and corporate revelation of the love that our Father has for us. As we experience that love, it will change us and change our relationships. I believe God's wanting to bring the spirit of fatherhood into the house, into the church. And what I believe he's wanting to raise up uh, men and women in the church who will be fathers to the next generation. Wants to put fathering in your heart and spirit. The, the heart to reach out and embrace and be a father to someone who needs you. And so in John first 14 and verse uh, 18, this is what Jesus spoke. He said, uh, he talked about leaving. He said, shortly I'm going to leave. And then he talked about the Holy Spirit. And uh, he said, I will send to you, he said, verse 16, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, nor the sees him, nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells in you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. Notice the statement, I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. He's promising the Holy Spirit would come. So I want to just open the scripture up and begin to just have a look at it. Some of the seed thoughts I got came from a guy, James Jordan, a New Zealander, who's got a tremendous revelation of the, uh, of the love of the Father. And I want to just share some things related to this. First thing is to understand that the purpose that Jesus came. So many people think he just came to die on the cross for our sins. That was much more than that. The purpose of dying on the cross for our sins was to remove the block to relationship. He wanted to soundly deal with the issue that we live in this life separated from God. Sin separates us from God, spiritually orphans us, leaves us without a loving father. And so Jesus came, uh, uh, and through the Bible, God sent prophets, sent various men, and they all revealed some aspect of God. But when Jesus came, Jesus came to reveal this. He came to reveal God is a father. Now, this was the major revelation that he brought to his day, that God is a father. Now, religions don't know God as a father. They know him as a God. They know him as severe. They know him in all kinds of ways. They do not know him as a father. When Jesus taught the disciples to pray, he said, this is how you pray, father. If we uh, have issues in our heart with the Father, if there's issues of unresolved conflict, we will find this extremely difficult to connect with God as a Father. Yet Jesus said that's how he wants us to relate to him, as a Father. For many, the experiences of a Father have caused uh, images in the mind to be formed that are not what Father in Heaven is like at all. They are idols, they are wrong images. Jesus came to show us exactly what God is as a Father. So when you study the life of Jesus, he said, the words I speak are the Father's words. I say the things he gives me to say. I, I do the things he tells me to do. So when you look at Jesus' life, he reveals 
exactly what Father God is like in the way he handles people and deals with people. So have another go through the Gospels, reading about Jesus, and begin to think, this is what God is like as a father. Is this what I would have expected him to do? And so uh, God is a father. So Jesus made it very clear. The words he speak are the words the Father gives me. So when he says, I will not leave you orphans, he's saying something like this. Currently, when I leave you, you are orphans, spiritual orphans. The plight of humanity is we are spiritually orphaned. We have not God as our father. We have someone else. It's called the devil. And he runs a world system with a belief structure and ways of doing life, values and attitudes. And we live in that. We're conditioned by that. We think like that. And God wants to remove us out of that to give us a revelation of his fatherhood, his love for us, and to bring us into our identity as sons. So remember we shared the story of the prodigal son and the elder brother, although he was a son, lived as a slave. Here's a picture for people who are Christians, who've come into the house of God, who are a son of God, but still in the mentality live like an orphan, like a slave. And Jesus came to remove that. He came to take away all the need to perform and came to bring us into a revelation of grace and the sheer goodness of God. You can't give to others what you don't have. And God was wanting to flood the church with a revelation of his love, his goodness, his grace, and his glory to remove bitter judgment out of the house, out of our lives. And so Jesus uh, made it very clear that people are orphans. And he says, I promise, here's my promise, I will not leave you orphaned. Here's what I'll do. I will send the Holy Spirit. He will come into you and you will no longer be alone. You'll actually be in intimate union with the spirit of my father. He said, you have seen me with you, but soon the spirit of my father is going to be in you, joined to your spirit. You can't get any more closely connected than that. He said, this is better than having me here with you. Because now, my spirit, the spirit of my Father. See, Jesus represented the Father. The Holy Spirit represented the Father. Three are one. There's no, no breaking or dividing them up. When you have the Holy Spirit, you have the spirit of the Father in you. And so he said, I'm going to make it so that the spirit of the Father comes and lives in you. And within you, you will be joined and the Spirit is a spirit of sonship. It's a spirit that reveals to you that God is Father. That's why when you pray within you, it'll bear witness, Abba, Daddy, Father, I can come to you. You're my loving Father. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm promising you that. And so Jesus called us to two things. He called us into intimacy and relationship with God as a Father. He called us also into mission. Intimacy precedes mission. Jesus' mission flowed out of intimacy. They're interconnected. You don't have one without the other. You have both. If you just have intimacy without mission, I question what kind of intimacy you really have and whether you've caught the heart of the Father who was ascending God. And God sent you to Hastings, Napier, Hawke's Bay because he has a work for you to do. Out of your intimacy, out of your love, out of your revelation of him, will flow mission to reach people because people need love. They need a revelation that God is a loving God. Why? Because they don't believe they're lovable. 
You get with non-Christians, and, and, and after a while they know you're a Christian, suddenly all their feelings about themselves surface. That's how they really feel. And, and we need to be able to minister to them in love. So where are the origins of the orphan spirit? How did this thing all come about? And I want to just share with you, and I'll abbreviate a bit just because of time, but I'll give you these scriptures. There are two places. The first thing is you have to understand that the origin of this orphan spirit is demonic. It's demonic. It began with Lucifer. We read in Isaiah 14, verse 12 to 15, and Ezekiel 28, 12 to 16, there are descriptions of life before the fall. And the Bible describes an angel by the name of Lucifer. It says he was in Eden, the garden of God. So the garden of God, Eden, not just a physical place, it's more than that. It's a garden, it's a place in the spirit of fellowship, intimacy, and relationship with God. It's also called the mountain of God. And in that place there, he was the anointed cherub that covered. He had a realm in worship. He had a realm of uh, influence uh, around the throne of God. He was a major angel. And then the Bible says that there rose in him iniquity in his heart. It says that he said, well, I will arise and I'll go beyond my positioning. I'll go higher. I will go to this. And he said, and I will be as God. And so in his heart, pride formed. And this is what he did. He rejected God as a father. And the angels are called sons of God too. And so he rejected the fatherhood of God. Now, when he rejected the fatherhood of God, this is what happened. He was cast out of heaven. He was cast out of his father's family. He was cast out of his father's home. He was cast out from his father's presence. He was literally orphaned. No father. No father, no home, no inheritance, no place. He was literally orphaned. And so he is the source. He is the one behind the whole attempt to bring people into a state of not knowing and understanding the love God has. His whole design and intention is to distort your relationship with God so you don't understand his loving father heart, his loving nature. His whole uh, structure of his world system is set up to keep you in a state of perpetual uh, being an orphan. I'll show you, refer to it in some different ways. So, so that's where it happened. He was cast out. So he was rejected. He was abandoned. He was orphaned. And so he then uh, desired that when he saw the creation of God, Adam, he desired to orphan Adam as well. He desired to separate Adam from God. Why do you want to do that? Two reasons. One, he was envious of what Adam had and the positioning that God gave Adam. And two, this is the only way he could break God's heart is to destroy his children. You think about it. People put up with a lot of things, but you touch their children. Now something stirs up. People may put up with all kinds of things and stand up with it for a lot of stuff and not, and not make a safe word. But the moment their children are at stake, then they come out fighting. Now, you understand that your children, particularly, are a part of who you are. And so, because your children are part of who you are, there's a deep fondness for them. There's a, an affection for them. There's a love. There's a bond that's there. And so, because the devil couldn't do anything about God, his only way of lashing back at God to 
wound and to hurt God is to strike at the heart and to strike at the people that God loved, to take his children, steal his children. Once you begin to understand that, you realize what this whole thing in the garden was about. I want you to just turn with me into the Garden of Eden and to uh, Genesis chapter 2. And I want to just talk about the creation of Adam. And I want to show you some things about this. You'll have not noticed. I hadn't noticed it myself. And just when I saw it, I began to weep and weep and weep. And uh, so we read in Genesis chapter chapter 2. And we read it in verse uh, 7. Now, we know that God created the heavens and earth. Uh, we realize in Genesis 1, God said, let there be light. And then there was light. He spoke. And notice that in everything that God did, he created it by the spoken word. God said, let there be light. Let there be fish. Let there be trees. Let there be this. Let there be that. He spoke and the words created. The words brought forth out of the realm of the spirit into the earth, the things he wanted to design. But when it came to man, God did it differently. Here it is here. I want you to have a look with me in, uh, in verse 7. The Lord formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now, I want you to have a look at how God made Adam. I want you just to think on this for a moment, because sometimes I found with Scripture, we, we read it and we're familiar with the story, and we don't stop to think what happened. And just when you stop and you begin to see what really happened, the first thing is it says that God formed Adam. In other words, now, that word formed is the word used when you have a potter and he takes some clay in his hands with water and he begins to spin the pot and begins to squeeze and mold and shape it. So this word form has to do with touch, the hands. And notice that God didn't create man by speaking. He created man with his own hands. He actually took the dust of the earth, and then he began to shape. And God, stand, can you imagine God standing there in the earth he'd created and taking handfuls of dust, and as he takes those handfuls of dust, he begins to let his glory flow into the dust, and he begins to move, and his hands move over it, and he begins to shape. And all the angels are standing around, and they're wondering what on earth God is up to. They've seen him create the heavens, and they've seen him create the earth. They've seen him create the, the, uh, the sun, moon, and stars. They've seen him create the seas, the animals, the plant life. He's seen him create everything. And now suddenly God is standing on the earth, and God reaches down into the earth and picks up some dust, and he's holding it in his hands. There it is, almighty God holding dust in his hands, and he begins to move his hands like a potter. And as he moves those hands, he begins to shape. And, and the angels, everyone watching, just what is God up to now? And he begins to shape. And as he begins to shape, the dust that he's shaping takes on the shape of a human body, the image of God. Eyes and ears and nose and mouth and hands and feet, a body. But if you've ever been in a wax museum, it was probably a bit like one of those. You see a dead body, it's just like a piece of wax. It's like a wax. It's just there, but there's no one in it. And so the angels are standing, and it's almost like God, out of the dust of the earth, has made this body, and it's an adult body, a grown, fully grown body, you see, so Adam wasn't just a little baby that came into being. He's actually formed as a body, fully, fully formed. And then he said, now everyone's watching, what is God up to? And then it said God breathed into him 
the breath of life. Breathe, now notice this, breathe into his nostrils. Now, I want you just to think. I want Joy, could you just come and stand up here for a moment? If you just stand up here just facing me. No, just trust you don't have to do anything, you just have to stand there. Now, now, God didn't do this from a long way off. God is here like this. He's holding Adam and he's just formed him. But all there is is a human body, a perfect human body. And then God needs to do one other thing. He needs to give Adam the kiss of life. And so, like that. See, it's not something long way off. This is something intimate and close. Why? Because he's about to make someone he loves. He's about to form man in his own image and likeness. And so, the Bible says, he breathed into Adam, into his nostrils. So that meant he had to be close. Okay? Now, think about this. Now, when he did that, Adam became something. So God put his life, the life of his spirit, and suddenly Adam became conscious. Now, when Adam became conscious, you've got to realize now, his mind was not corrupted by sin. The Bible, uh, scientists tell us we use only about 10% of our brain. The smartest person perhaps got an IQ of 150 to 200. Only 10%. Imagine what the IQ is if you got the full brain use. Now, you've got to remember, he's had no experiences of life at all. He's had no memories. There are no memories. He's about to have opened his eyes and have his first experience. And what is his first experience? <laughs> As he opened his eyes, his first experience was God, his heavenly Father, full of glory, full of love. He looked straight into the face of God, into the face of his Father. And what he saw on that face was love, approval, acceptance, and the biggest smile you've ever seen in the world. God is making a son. God is making man in his image and likeness. God is making someone to govern his creation. God is making his family. And the first experience that Adam had. So as he breathed into him, the skin suddenly become pink as the blood began to flow, the heart began to pump, suddenly Adam becomes conscious, and as he becomes conscious, he realizes he's alive, it's like waking up, and suddenly he wakes up, his eyes open, and what he sees is the face of God, he sees the face of his father, he feels the love of his father, the approval of his father, the acceptance of his father, that is his first and lasting impression. And your first experience of anything is the it's lasting. So imprinted upon him is a loving father. What an amazing thing, eh? Isn't that amazing? Think about how amazing that is. So, so he doesn't know any pain. He doesn't know any suffering. He doesn't know what sorrow is. Doesn't know what rejection is. Doesn't know a thing about any of those things. He opens his eyes and he sees his father's love. And every day he's living in his father's love. Every day he's talking with his father. Every day he's receiving life. Actually, heaven is on earth. The kingdom of heaven is now on earth. He has access to his father in the realm of the spirit. He has access to heaven, yet he's on earth. 
he's God's original intention. Think about it. And his first and lasting experience. Now you notice that not only did he have this experience of God's touch, he would have smelt the fragrance of God, he saw the face of God, he experienced the feeling of God's love, he walked in that love. And yet it was incomplete. God needed that he have someone human to express that love to. Love never can be alone. It always has to overflow to people. And so God created, and notice what he, he caused Adam to go into a deep sleep. In Genesis 5.1 it says, he called their name Adam. In other words, when God formed Eve, Adam and Eve were one. There was no division. There was no disunity. There was no hiding. There was no deception. There was no dishonesty. There was, no dis there was nothing like that. Actually, they just walked in love and openness, and they had a relationship that was intimate and close with one another and with God. And every day, God would come into the garden, and they would walk and talk with him and enjoy it. They actually had heaven on earth. What an amazing experience. Tremendously amazing experience. And so he lived in intimacy, lived in closeness, lived in a most amazing environment. And then the devil came. And the devil is the one who wants to orphan us. And this is what he had in mind. I've been orphaned. I'm going to take away these kids of God. I'm going to take away his children. I'm going to destroy his family. And so he was subtle. God had given Adam some warnings, given, God, given him some boundaries. He gave that. He gave him opportunity to be a steward and to grow in authority and wisdom and stature. And so he gave him an assignment, a place to work out that assignment, some boundaries around that assignment. And within that, he was to grow up. But, of course, you remember the story in Genesis 3, uh, and we read it there, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Well, really, did God say, don't eat every tree of the garden? And the woman said, well, we can eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat it. If you touch it, you'll even die. And the serpent said, oh, you won't die. God knows. He knows something he's not telling you. The day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God. Now, that was the very thing that was in Satan's heart. I will be as God. And so he says, oh, you'll be as God. What he's saying simply is this. You really can't trust God. He's a holdout. And he's not telling you that if you eat that fruit, you know what's going to happen? You'll be like him. Oh, oh, I don't need God. I could eat the fruit and I'll be actually just be able to be like him. Whoa, this is awesome. Now remember, the, the plan of God is we become like him, that we grow into his nature, but it's growing through relationship and walking with him. But God's, he's saying, here's another way. You don't have to trust God. In fact, I wouldn't trust him at all. He knows you. You're not going to die. There's going to be no consequences of sin. Come on. He's holding out on you. What you need is to take this. You need to do this. You need to let go of him being your father. You need to step out and do something for yourself, just like the prodigal son. And so they took it and ate of it. The moment they ate of it, their eyes were opened. And now suddenly some things have happened. The glory that was on them vanished. That's why they looked and saw they're naked. There was a glory of God's presence upon them. They were not conscious of themselves. They were not conscious of one another. They were conscious of God's love. And what happened in a moment of time, fear came in, guilt came in, shame came in, fear came in. They began to cover. They began to hide. When God came, they ran away and hid. And God came and visited them to find out. That's the question that God asked them. The question he asked them, he didn't ask them, have you guys broken my laws? He didn't ask them, 
Have you done something wrong? What have you done? He asked them a relational question. Where are you? He did not come with judgment in his heart. He did not come with condemnation in his heart. He came as a loving father to find his children. Where are you? Adam and Eve were hiding. So then he asked a second question. Well, who told you you were naked? Who have you been talking to? Have you eaten of the tree of good knowledge of good and evil? And immediately Adam, now Adam was faced with this opportunity. He could be responsible and own his actions and ask his father to forgive him. Or he could deny responsibility, blame someone else, and refuse to repent and come back into relationship with his father. And in that moment, he did what men do. Men find it really difficult to say, I was wrong. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? Comes right back to Adam. If he had just done that, God would have room then to forgive him. But he didn't do that. He denied and blamed. Now imagine two people walking in love and unity and Eve's shock for the first time. Now, what you could understand is the shock they experienced. They are in a state where they're stunned because the glory is gone. The presence of God is gone. Fear is in. They're feeling emotions they've never felt before, and they're in a panic state and hiding. And when God speaks with them, instead of seeing him as a loving father, they see him through the corruption of their own minds. He's, I'm scared of him. He's going to punish me. I've got to blame someone else so I don't get punished. And with that, then God stepped in and began to do some things. The consequences of the fall were this. Notice this words here. Read down here, and I'll finish with this in a moment. It says in verse 24, he drove out the man and placed chairman at the gate of the Garden of Eden, flaming sword which turned each way to guard the tree of life. Why did God do that? Verse 22, the Lord said, man has become like one of us to know good and evil. Now lest he put his hand and take the tree of life and eat and live forever, we've got to get him out of here. Now, how many of you saw that uh, movie, uh, The Lord of the Rings? Can you see Lord of the Rings? Okay, now there was a guy in there called Gollum. You notice Gollum was a really ugly creature? He had an incredibly ugly creature. But if you watch the movies, in one of them, it showed what he used to be. And what he used to be was just one of the elves. He's quite a nice-looking fella. But when he reached out for the power of the ring, he became corrupted. And as he kept the ring in his possession, eventually he became totally corrupted, and he changed physically. He changed his appearance. He became an ugly, vile, loathsome, divided internally in doubt, you know, kind of creature. Horrendous. This is exactly what God saw would happen to Adam and Eve now that sin had entered their life. They'd refused to take responsibility for sin, so this is what happened. Then he saw corruption would come, and he said, I love them too much to leave them like this. So this is what's going to happen. Firstly, you have to carry the consequences of your sin. Secondly, I'm going to send a redeemer. Thirdly, I'm going to cover you. But fourthly, you can't stay here in the garden. You can't eat the tree of life. You can't live forever. Because that corruption would go on and distort and disfigure you if I didn't stop it. You've got to come to an end. I can't let you have the tree of life. And now what it says is this. He said, God drove them out of the garden. Now, think about that word drove. It meant he divorced them. It meant literally he pushed them 
out of their possession and inheritance. Now, when you push someone, it's because they are reluctant to leave. Now, have you ever seen someone who's just had a major accident, maybe a car crash, and, and, you, and you see them straight out of the car crash, they are in shock. Their emotions are in shock. Their mind's in shock. Their body's in shock. And they sort of stand there, and they're kind of bewildered. And often what medical people have to do is they have to gather them and guide them and literally make them go to where they need to go or to sit down to where they go because they're in shock. So we see that God drove them out. They were in shock. They were traumatized by what they experienced. They were now orphaned out of the garden, out of the presence of God, out of the love of God. And so that's where the orphan spirit developed. So how does it manifest in people's life? A whole number of ways. Let me just give them quickly and then see what Jesus came really to do. I'll just give a couple of scriptures for it. Here's the first thing. An orphan has no sense of home or belonging. When people are born into this world, the thing we are lacking is a spiritual home and spiritual belonging. There's no sense of name or identity. An orphan has no one to speak words of affirmation in them, to say who they are. They have no father. Spiritually, people are orphaned. The third thing is that there's no inheritance. When you're an orphan, you have no one to leave an inheritance to you. You have no one to leave property, money, finances, resources to you. If you're an orphan, you have no one to provide for you, discipline you, guide you, correct you through life. If you're an orphan, this is what you are. You are alone in life, and this is what you learn. There's no one to look out for me except me. I need to look out for number one. And so the whole world system operates on this principle I must look out for number one. I must look out for number me, for me. Why? Because there's no one to provide for me. Actually, it's the sign a person's orphan. With it, there are a whole number of issues, of course, rejection and abandonment and loneliness and stuff like that. But basically, people become subject then to the world system. Now, you think how people live their lives. They live as spiritual orphans. When we come into the church, we can easily come in, come to Christ, and yet still live like spiritual orphans. That's what the elder brother did in the story of the prodigal son. What did Jesus come to do? Let, let, this is what he came to do. I love this, John 1, 12. This is what he said. To as many as received him, to as many as welcomed Jesus Christ, to as many as believed on him and put their trust in him, he gave them the right the privilege to become, to become a child of the living God. To as many as made Jesus welcome. When Jesus came and walked on the earth, one, He showed what the Father is like. He taught what the Father is like. He acted and lived out what the Father is like. He died on the cross to deal with the issue of sin. Why? So we could get out of that place of being an orphan into a place of intimate connection with the Father. To everyone who received Him, He gave the right and privilege to become a child of God, to become not just a child, but an heir of God, heir to all that God has, access to God, access to love, access to being unconditionally loved. Jesus came to deliver us of the bondage of performance. Under the law, people perform to get accepted by God. Jesus came to give a different way. It's called grace. It's called, God did it for me. Jesus did the work for me. I need to believe and receive and become positioned to enter and access my Father's love and blessing. In, in Romans chapter 8, it says, The Spirit 
that He's put in us is a spirit of adoption. The spirit that you receive when you receive Christ comes into your heart to place you into your sonship. No longer an orphan. No longer living alone. No longer abandoned. No longer without identity. No longer without someone to speak into your life. No longer without someone to correct you. No longer without an inheritance. No longer having to look out for number one. No longer having to live that kind of life. Now access to the treasures of heaven. Access to the blessings of God. Access to a loving Father. That Spirit witnesses with our spirit. I am a child of God. I am loved by my Father. Jesus came to bring us into spiritual sonship, not to be a slave, not to serve and to work, not to just do what we're told, but to come into relationship with God, to be able to experience His love, experience His face again, experience His glory again, experience His blessing in our lives. God came to give you that. How much of it are you receiving? The prodigal son couldn't believe it could be trusted and went out and went into the world, but came back and experienced that love and provision. The elder brother was like many Christians in the house, but no concept of the love and resources of his father availed to him. We'll talk with you another reason, another, another time, why those blocks are there and what to do about the blocks that stop me realizing my sonship in him. God wants you in this year to have a great revelation of His fatherhood, His love for you, your identity in Him, so you're free from performing, free from pretending, free from trying to be someone. You can just be yourself. He freed us from the law so we can be ourselves. He said, I accept you like you are so you can rest and be yourself and then grow into the person God has made you to be. Let's just close your eyes. Father, we just thank you right now for the wonderful love, the wonderful, wonderful, wonderful grace poured out. Oh God, deliver us from the mentality of an orphan, living as though it's all up to us, struggling, striving, competing, envying, eyeing what others have and wanting what they have. Bring us in this year into revelation of your fatherhood, of your love, of your acceptance, of your provision. Bring us into revelation of your destiny for us. Oh, Father, we thank you. You know, folks, Jesus prayed that the love that the Father has shown me might be in those who follow me. Imagine that. Love, affirmation, destiny, legacy, the many blessings that God has. He wants them to be realized in your life. This is not a year to live like a slave and a pauper. It's a year to step into God's love and blessing and provision and the changes He wants you to make. Is there any person here today who hasn't received Jesus Christ yet? You're not yet a Christian. You know Jesus died on the cross to break that orphan spirit so you'd never be alone, but in your heart would be home. In your heart would be heaven. In your heart would be the Spirit of God. Power of sin broken, joined to heaven itself. What a wonderful, wonderful gift God offers you. But it requires a decision to receive Jesus Christ. If you don't receive him, and then you carry on walking like a spiritual orphan. And you're not just orphaned in life. You're orphaned for eternity. Tragedy 
when God makes it possible to be part of his family. Today I invite you to respond to receive Jesus Christ. If that's you today and you're ready to become a Christian, please just raise your hand. Put your hand up and say, I want to become a Christian. I want to give my life to Jesus. Would you do that right now? Just raise your hand. Is there any person here? Any person here? Any person here today? I'd like us to just pray this prayer together. Not just for your sake, but also for the sake of those who be listening uh, over the CD or over the internet. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Father in heaven, I come to you in Jesus' name. I have lived as a spiritual orphan, separated by sin from you. Today I receive Jesus Christ. I receive his forgiveness. I receive his life. I receive the spirit of sonship into my heart. Lord, I turn away from all sin and choose to walk with you. Today I thank you that you are revealing your love for me day by day. I thank you as I walk with you, I will grow as a son of God into my destiny and the inheritance you have for me. I thank you today. I am free from performing, free from trying and struggling, free to enjoy you. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. If you're listening on the internet and you prayed that prayer for the first time, you've opened the way for Jesus Christ to become your Savior. I encourage you to uh, reach into the website and get access to some of the teaching, some of the resources. Uh, otherwise, you need to get connected uh, quite quickly into a local church somewhere that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. Get connected to the family of God that can help you. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. Is this a great day or what? Are you a blessed person? You're removed from cursing into blessing. Curse of failure into curse of success. Curse of poverty into blessing prosperity. We are moved from curse to blessing today. Amen.